It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The forever It's at the end of the episode. That's when it technically ends. Building the game with Jason and friends. The fun never ends except for the end of the episode when it technically ends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary <laughs> podcast. Today is Monday, March 14th, and you're listening to episode 511. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Jason. And that uh, that voice you just heard, if uh, if you are a fan of her, you already know uh, who's my guest. But uh, let me introduce her anyways. I've got uh, Berus Shahrihari, um, also known as Bez. Uh, here today, game designer of Yogi and Bezzy's Bargain Bags and many other many things, uh, content creator. Welcome, Bez. It's awesome to have you here. Thank you very much. I'm excited to finally get on this show and congratulations a few months ago, like it's a bit late, but congratulations on passing the 500. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's funny because you're somebody who I've been very aware of in the industry, <laughs> but we've never actually met in person Um I mean, I know you live on the other side of the world, mm-hmm. basically across the pond, as we say, or they say, or you say, someone says that. Um, but I think we both are... say, everyone <laughs> says it. It's like, at least, well, probably Thai people don't say it because they don't yes, compare yes. themselves. Like they don't That's compare fair, yeah, UK. Yeah. But I think yes. both UK people and Americans anyway. Yeah. But um, I think you, you come to Gen Con, right? I have never been to Gen Con. Oh, all right. So I've never been to a convention outside of Europe. I've been to lots of things in the mm-hmm. UK. I want to say basically if I've not been to a convention in the UK, it's probably because it's not one where traders are. It, it's not a suitable thing for me, let's say. Right. Yeah, and that's I, fair. Yeah. yeah. Like there's salutes there's places for specifically war games mm-hmm. there's places for specifically yep. larp and of course there's all sorts of games but there's an amazing convention scene not just uk games expo but aircon that's happening yep. in just a week and a bit oh my gosh and there's Dicini, <laughs> but it's like i love essen which is you know some people say it's bigger than gen con some people say gen con's bigger like who cares frankly so are both yeah, pretty yeah. big i mean they're both and then you've got Cannes Festival International de Jeu that I just adore. I don't know if mm-hmm. you know this one because it's free entry after a certain oh. time. So if wow. you want to be in there at the morning, then mm-hmm. you have to pay. If you want to go as a professional, then you have to pay like £50 or seven. I can't remember the exact price. And then you get access to this lounge and everything. It's really nice. And of course, it's a beautiful sun and beach right over there. And but anyone who's part of the city, which remember it is quite affluent, so money isn't a big issue for them. But the fact that it's no money at all, it means mm-hmm. that on one day I was playing Dragonimo. This was 2020, I think, just before the pandemic became mm-hmm. a thing, with yeah. people who'd never played a board game before. And even for the mums, this was like a complicated game. I don't know if you know Dragonimo. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. And like they were like, oh, you managed to get the rules really quickly. And I said, yeah, I play lots of games. And they were like, oh, we hardly ever play games, but we can totally imagine. And with broken right. English and me trying to speak French, but not doing. And I think that's the key thing that um, without disrespecting the Americans, when you go to Gen Con and everything that you do is being charged for, it's a very different culture. 
It is a oh yeah 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 no 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 and, and yeah please disrespect just from what's heard for that no because uh yeah no we feel it too I mean you know I I've trying to book a hotel for Gen Con um uh with uh my one of my co designers Kelly and and he and I are trying to share a space and in, in, in like the badges are are super expensive they're mm. like over they're like a hundred bucks I was able to get a press wow. badge this year um which was cool but like then the the hotel rooms for the for the whole convention sold out in 35 minutes. Wow. Um, and now the only rooms we can find uh, are about 600 to $2,000 a night <laughs> per night. So obviously we're not going to do I mean, that. It so happens with know. all big conventions. I mean, when you yeah, go to yeah. Essen, you might end up having to stay in Dusseldorf and then taking mm-hmm. the train and spending yep. like 90 minutes on route. And UK Games Expo, even though it's like maybe yep. 25,000 yep. people, it's still getting to that point where you'll stay in Birmingham itself rather than by the NEC. So, yeah, take an hour mm-hmm. to get in each day. It's not the right. end of the world. But yeah, no, having here... the mass transit options are great. Mm-hmm. We don't, and at least not in in, um, in Indiana, that oh, we're not yeah. great at that. So um, for Gen Con. USA um, is quite bad compared to Europe. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no. That is something like in the big cities we have, you know, like New York, obviously New York City mm-hmm. is known for its subways um, and all of those things. But like, um, yeah, in general. Oh, yeah, no, you're no. not going to have, yeah. like, I mean, I guess, yeah, you would have conventions in New York, but that's going to be super expensive because New York City is one of the most expensive places in yes. the world. Oh, but yeah. Here it's yeah, like yeah, even yeah, more expensive yeah. than London, UK, which yep. is where I live, by the way. Right. right. Yes. And we have plenty of we do have plenty of mass transit within cities, but it's nothing like y'all have. Um, and it's it's too bad because like for Gen Con, like we can drive in, we can stay outside of town, we can drive in. Um, but then we're going to pay probably 50 to 100 bucks for parking every day. Each day. Wow. Um, yeah. And that's if you can get it. Last year, Kelly stayed out of town and ended up parking a mile away and still paying $50 a day um, and had to walk a mile to find his car. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it, it was just... Yeah, it was ridiculous. I so, mean, a mile um, isn't too bad of a walk, but if you're doing that after you've just driven in right. and you're kind of doing it at the end of a convention day. Right, right. That... It's not as fun of a walk at 2 a.m. when you're trying to go back <laughs> to your hotel, right? And uh, yeah. and then also, you know, like for Gen Con or something, you're getting stuff, you're carrying everything, you know, like you've got prototypes and stuff you have to bring. It's just it's just not super convenient. Um, but uh but yeah, no, I look forward to going to Essen someday. Um, you know, it'll be probably in more a couple more years, but that's one that I've always wanted to get to. I've never been to a convention uh, outside of the US. So mm-hmm. that and that's the one that's really on my on my list of ones I really want to I check think out, that's so. for me, I feel like Essen is brilliant. It's like great for shopping, it's great for new releases. But the slightly sad thing about Essen is that there's not a lot that not directly paid for by the publishers sure they have some talks but those aren't super easy to get into whereas uk games expo sure there are some events that you might have to pay for like the dark room things that they've plucked out of the edinburgh fringe comedy festival and they say Mm -hmm. you know what you're doing comedy about board games you should come to our convention and do some Mm -hmm. things and then they've got some musicians who play some stuff and Sure, some of the stuff you do have to pay for, and some of the RPGs, it might be like a nominal two quid or five quid just to make sure that you turn up. Mm-hmm. But 
for the most part, you can go to seminars, you can hear experienced people like Ian Livingston or Ignacy Jevicek teaching you about design. You can hear people telling you all about the Kickstarter as a designer. There's just so much more to do. And UK Games Expo, they have the publisher designer track where they do the speed dating. And then mm-hmm. they have one evening where it's, hey, there's no speed dating. You need to sit through like half hour presentation by this company that sponsored it even though their print on demand service might not be the cheapest in the country but mm-hmm. sit through that and then everyone gets free drinks and you get to talk to everyone like who's a designer here and it's just a really nice way for networking yeah, and i would actually encourage someone who's i know this is going to sound controversial but if you're thinking about going to one convention in europe I would actually advocate for UK Games Expo rather than Essen. Mm-hmm. I, you know what, I um, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, I know that even here, you know, there are a lot of people that will tell you if you're going to go to one convention, don't go to Gen Con, <laughs> go mm-hmm. to something smaller or something different because every convention provides its own opportunities and engaging things. So yeah, no, that doesn't surprise me. Um, I would ideally love to go to both. Uh, mm. I wish they were like two weeks in a row and then I could just go. <laughs> yeah, I'm I mean, sure October, that. June, that's kind of <laughs> yeah. quite a big difference. But it's different. Like Gen Con, from what I hear, like the, Matt from the Indie Game Alliance, they were for a while doing um, pitching and all sorts of things. Whereas Essen, sure, if you are a designer, you can probably find more companies if you make meetings to go there and pitch to. That's mm-hmm. going to happen. And that is a benefit of going to Je- right. to Essen, right. sorry. And buying brand new games, there are more games released at Essen. There is no denying that. There is going to be more. It's bigger. It's more stuff. But at UK, there's still more than enough to keep you occupied mm-hmm. for the entire weekend. And yeah, I just like the UK system of actually having things that you don't need to, that you can just go or like, hey, here are mm-hmm. some talks. Here's an event. Here's a tournament. You don't need to pay for all of this. Right. Just come and do it. Totally agree. Totally agree. I think that's fantastic. Um, anyway. Well, we should uh, we should talk about the topic you want to chat about today. Because, uh, yeah, because I feel like you and I could probably talk for hours just about absolutely, in Absolutely. So <laughs> let's is... talk about stress. I mean, even though, and so like, from a very stress-free thing of just chin-wagging along with you, which is an absolute delight, to, yes, game-making is ideally a stress-free thing. It's a creative joy. There's so much joy in it. There's so much satisfaction. When I hear like you telling me that you had fun playing Yogi, that made me smile. When I, mm-hmm. If I see someone ever posting a picture saying, hey, I colored in this creature that you do and were playing with our wee whimsical creatures and trying to identify them after someone makes noises you know that makes me smile when i'm at a convention and i'm demoing to people that's brilliant and obviously if you pitch to another publisher they take care of a lot of stuff but whether you're pitching whether you're self-publishing whatever you're doing there's always stress and Mm -hmm. i thought it would be good to kind of talk through chronologically where those stress points might happen talk Mm -hmm. about how I've maybe encountered them, how you've encountered them, how we can sort of maybe avoid them and then, yeah, see what happens. Yes, yes. I, I, I'm totally on board with you that, you know, there's so many positive things to being a game designer, to publishing games, to just making creative things. 
Um, and I, I think that for outsiders, um, I think for people in the industry, even, you know, any, any game designer, any people who are doing it and attempting to do it in a way where they're going to put stuff out there, mm. they would understand this, that there is stress. But I think as an out, like a lot of outsiders are like artists, right? Like, <laughs> oh, these creatives, like, how are you stressed? Your job is so easy. It's like, no, it's friggin' hard. And like, it may be fun and we may be passionate about it, but but it gets stressful. And like, and I think the other thing is like, you know, we have, we've talked about this on the show before about like people do games because they're passionate about it. Right. Yes. No one is in games to get rich. And if they are, they're not smart. I mean, I am in games to make enough money to live. Do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. But that's, that's not to get rich. Right. I mean, I mean, you know, I mean, that's so like, so I think the thing is we all are so passionate about this that that makes it stressful because we we actually really care about mm. how things turn out and how people engage with them, right? So you know, I mean, if you're, if you're just making a product and you just wanted to make money, you don't care how people react to it as long as people keep buying it, right? Um, if you make a movie that you don't care if it's good or not, but it sells, you know, a billion tickets and makes $10 billion, right? Good for I you. I guess like, the other side of the stress is the fact that... Um, not just emotionally invested, because you are going to be emotionally invested in whatever you do, but also, are you doing this on contract, or are you doing this for yourself? Right, so right. let's um, compare when I was being a developer for Alley Cat Games, mm-hmm. and let's say when I was doing work on Coral Islands or Welcome to Dino World, and it was like, okay, here's the thing, I'm trying to make it good, I really want people to like it, and... I finally got to play Welcome to Dino World for the first time, I want to say three weeks ago. I would not played it since publication. So uh-huh, I played uh-huh. it like so much until it was published. And then it was right, like, right, right. yeah, I'm kind I of. I know the feeling with. there. And then um, I beat them by about, yeah, I basically doubled the score of the person that was closest <laughs> to me. I, I right. knew the game pretty well. Like I yeah. played it a lot. But um, I... Whether it did well or not, I wasn't going to make any more money from that. Whether it um, did well or not, some of that praise might come my way, but it's not super direct. And so you've got the group kind of shielding you. And that's Mm -hmm. the thing. Like when you're working as part of a team, you've got, I don't know whether to call it an ego shield. That's it. I feel that's right. I feel do you feel that's the truth? Yeah. Yeah. I think especially for developers, I mean, I think that game developers are kind of the unsung heroes mm-hmm. of games. I mean, like, it's like Your how main many... isn't the first one on the box. No, and I remember when I was like when I would play a game when I first started designing, and it would be so good. And I'd be like, this designer, like, oh my gosh, how did they do this? And like they did it, but like they also had people helping them, right? I mean, like Absolutely. there's not a game in the world that, that that's good. <laughs> That wasn't play tested and had some development and some input from others. And it took me a while to realize that as a designer and that in itself was stressful, like to start out, like I'm never going to be able to make a game this good on my own. Well, no, of course not. Cause no one is <laughs> right. Like that's, you know, I mean, and that's, but the developers, yeah. I mean, they don't get a lot and of that credit, gets to right? the points like where, you know, all the play testers and there was a Twitter conversation with someone on, um, well, Twitter, and then they were saying, yeah, Kickstarter, you need to sh- give more credit to your playtesters and people who are responsible. And I can dig it. I can really appreciate that. But there are so many playtesters. 
And if I start crediting, okay, I'm going to be honest, for a game about quickly grabbing creatures that are totally different and counting your turnips, there was one person who came up with the turnip idea. And I've gone to the extent of listing them as a co-designer on Board Game Geek because that feels they definitely weren't a developer, but mm-hmm. what they did there, it was like a fundamental change. It changed mm-hmm. the nature of the game. It brought one strategic choice into the game as opposed to zero, which is mm-hmm. what most real-time games have. And if we just credit people who give the cool ideas then maybe that's nice and maybe it's a nice token of appreciation. But at the same time, it that's not what you want to incentivize necessarily from a playtester. Right, and right. the playtesters, like the sheer number, the sheer volume, and it's just, I don't think it's really realistic to credit literally everyone. And Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I like in... You know, there's, I've talked about this because I, I almost exclusively co-design games now. I, for a long time, I did them on my own. Then I realized that I loved working with people and I loved co-design. So I just started doing it. But like, there's that, there's that like tricky business of like, when does a play tester or when does someone giving you feedback become a co-designer on your game? Right. And that mm-hmm. really is like, cause there are those moments, right. Where you're like, oh, wow. Like, I guess we're in this together now. Right. Um, and uh, so, I mean, I, from my perspective, I just started asking, like, if I was working on a game and I get to a point and I'm like, you know what, I need more help with this. I would just seek out someone who I, who another designer who I thought was a good fit and say, hey, look at this with me. And if they, if they, you know, were digging on it, like I was, then I'd say, why don't we do this one together? Why don't we finish this together? But like, there is that stress. And so I, for me, what I've always done is like, I like to, like, if there's a play tester that's done a lot for the game. I make sure that they're they're credited as a play tester. I make sure that they get a special thanks if they mm-hmm. did extra. I always will talk on the podcast about the feedback they gave, you know, and if I think it's appropriate, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll send them a copy of the game or something. And the know? other thing I mean, to acknowledge is just in the rules, I know it's not ideal, but saying yes, there were plenty more people, mm-hmm. or thank you to everyone at Royal Festival Hall or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And if there's lots of people who played it once and that was it you probably aren't going to be able to credit those but again this is kind of another source of stress is the fairness and i think that this hasn't even occurred to me and i think what (laughs) made you more stressed i'm sorry best no 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 no. (laughs) it's all good it had i mean it had occurred to me for that but like you know Credit to Jessica Medrinkum, just give a shout out because she told me a while ago, okay, people talk about fairness, about kindness, and about clarity, and people feel like you need to be kind first and foremost. But really, what you want to be first and foremost is clear, and then the other things can follow. You can decide Mm -hmm. for yourself, is this kind? Because maybe one person is really wanting a bigger percentage of the money, maybe one percent one person wants to do a different type of work. One person wants to do something else. Mm-hmm. And so you can't establish whether it's fair or kind until you've been clear. So many right. times I've seen a friend that just assumes, yes, they will like this. They want this. But you can't assume that kind of thing. So I think mm-hmm. when you're establishing, even if it's a friendly co-designer relationship, mm-hmm. establish, why are we doing this? Do we want, do we aim to make money? At what point are we going to abandon it? At what point are we going to part ways? 
and being super clear on all of these mm-hmm. things just avoids broken yes. hearts later on. Yes. And I and that is um you saying this stuff makes me feel good. And I hope my co-designers feel this way as well. But like I try to be very upfront to say, this is this is what I want to do. These are the parts mm-hmm. of the game that to me must happen. Like this is this is what I'm I care about in this game. Mm-hmm. Everything else is negotiable. If you look at this and you feel like, hey, this isn't gonna work, no hard feelings, right? We will walk away and we'll decide how we're gonna uh, how we're gonna split that game up or whatever, you know. Um, but I, I do think it's so important to clarify those things ahead of time because I mean, a lot of the people I co-design with are are my friends or become my friends as I co-design more with them. And I want to make sure that like that's not injured or ever like that always has to be the forefront, right? <laughs> because so that's where that clearness is is so important that you define how you're gonna do stuff. Um and uh and I find some some co-designers, uh like somebody I just started working with was was like, okay, so like I know you've done a lot of co-design, I've done none. I kind of want to understand the rules and how this is gonna work. And you know, I usually do all this. Do you know? And I was like, hey, like I like literally my process is different with every co-designer because it has to be because yeah. we have to make it comfortable for everyone um, if you want to get the best thing out of this. And so, so yeah, I think that can be stressful, but you, you're absolutely right that being the, clear up front helps to fix that. And also saying that's like- agreements can mutate. I mean, you might yeah. feel, oh, we've got a written agreement that feels very businesslike, that doesn't feel friendly. But mm-hmm. it is actually making just making sure you're on the right page, mm-hmm. making sure that rather than saying it out loud, sometimes things can be misinterpreted. So I do feel like having something written down, right. you can refer to and say, OK, I'm wanting to go into this slightly different direction. You're wanting to go into this slightly different direction. Actually, both of us are moving away from the original vision document. Mm-hmm. You know, that's right. a possibility, in which right. case maybe we should both take what we've got and split it Mm -hmm. up and just let each other work on these two separate games. I mean, it Mm -hmm. works for San Juan and Race for the Galaxy, right? Mm -hmm. And I I actually have had that happen with where, you know, like I've had it happen two ways. One where you say, you know, I don't think this is going to work. Like we we seem to be going in very different directions. And in in my case, it was great because both of us felt it. And Mm -hmm. we said, let's just amicably stop this design and I think I'm going to noodle around with this stuff and you can take that stuff. But I actually had with a recent design where we were working on a game and we, based on some feedback I had, we did a really hard pivot to change. Like I was like, this isn't working this way. And then the co-designer was like, what if we do this? And it basically made the game a thousand times better, but also like stripped away the core mechanic to be something else. <clears throat> so what we ended up doing was he gave me the other, the half of it and said, do what you own this. And I said, well, I want to make a game together with this now with this new mechanic. So now we're doing both. We actually have come up with two games. Amazing. He's leading on the one, I'm leading on the other. I mean, that that doesn't happen very often. Like that was very fortunate that that worked out that and way. And we've talked about how co-designers cool can be stressful, but like I said at the start, it can be not just a shield, but it can be like a nice way to bounce ideas around yeah. yes i was at the inside the box office on tuesday i want to say talking mm-hmm. about seize the power which um it's ages away coming to kickstarter middle of 2023 fingers crossed so 
were trying to get together the structure and this is a game about subjugation of power and discrimination. It's actually quite a heavy game. It takes 90 minutes to maybe two hours currently for four players and if it's five players, maybe even three hours. But it's we're trying to speed it up in certain ways, but everyone's going away saying, yeah, we like it, we want to play it again. The point is that I spent the day myself and three others talking about the revolution mechanic, talking about how different rules work, because in that game you're actually controlling the very rules of the game. And oh, it's nice. Nice. Oh, that's in this cool. game, if it were just me, I mean, I am invested. It is going to be... It's a cool design, myself and Tiz Creel. But now that we're working with two developers from mm-hmm. the Inside the Box team, now that it's kind of their responsibility, I'm going to be there. I'm invested in this game. But if I have to leave, it's not going to stop. And knowing right. that there's someone else to pick up the slack, if needs be. And Yogi, like that's my other experience with publication, where it's someone else does the thing and... They basically made zero changes since the original in a binds, like one and a half cards are changed, yes. and all of those I requested. But <laughs> that's awesome. At, between the two things, um, if there's something slightly wrong, it can I can blame it on Jigamic, but <laughs> I, I still <laughs> would like it to kind of sell a lot. I'm financially reimbursed right, for right. that, clearly. Yeah. But yeah, 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 yeah. It's um, it takes away the stress. I don't have to worry about hey, how do I get it out? Shipping, all these other things. But I guess maybe we're getting ahead of ourselves. The other, before we go into the move too far ahead from the team, I want to mm-hmm. say should we talk about the ideas because like that idea and that initial playtest. So many people come to our playtest and say, oh, I don't know if this is quite ready. And what mm-hmm. I've started saying to people because we want to. Although, selfishly, we want our own games to be playtested. We love it when people come and then they just playtest other people's and don't bring a game of their own. We're very happy for people to become designers. And from your second time that you come, first time you're not allowed to bring a game. That's our rule. But from the second time onwards, you get to bring something. And I always say, hey, if you're not sure what you're doing, just try something and we can talk about it for half an hour. We don't even have to use a full slot to play your game. You Mm -hmm. can put together whatever cards you've done. Maybe you and one other person that you pick or two other people play through literally just one turn. And Mm -hmm. that's going to give you information then and any information that we give to you, any suggestions, that's yours to do with as you want. Yep. Yep. And the fact that we sometimes have decks of cards that I scribble on literally that same morning, I think that hopefully reminds people it doesn't need to be brilliantly drawn. It doesn't need to look beautiful. It just needs to be something that people can engage with, whether that is playing through a turn, whether that's playing the whole game, or whether that's playing enough to have a discussion of the idea. And I think that's something that playtest groups should be really open to, saying hey, if you don't have your full game, it is okay for you to just come along and ask one or two people to join you in a brainstorm. Mm-hmm. I, I agree, yeah. Um, and that's something that I've been fortunate enough to have the podcast do, right, where I can talk mm-hmm. about 
ideas and then people will write it and give me feedback or they'll message me on our um, discord and say, Hey, I like this game. I have this ideas around it. Um, and that's great. Um, because yeah, because sometimes that's what you need, right? Is you just need mm-hmm. some, some thoughts. You don't need to play the whole thing. Yeah. I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. So, um, should we get to the arts work? Yeah, let's talk about art because that stresses me out more than most things. Because unlike you, I'm not I'm not an artist. <laughs> That's so. really interesting because I would have thought <clears throat> that when you're commissioning other people, when you're getting got, or do you mean getting the art for your prototypes? What do you mean so, that it stresses you out? So getting the art for prototypes is generally easy because I'm really good with Google. I have a membership to the noun project. Like, so, and a lot of the stuff I do can just be icons. I can Mm -hmm. use gameicons.net, whatever. If it's a prototype to where it's never going to be sold, right? Like Mm -hmm. as is, um, then I'm really good with that. Um, the, like a great example is I, we just recently did this game. Um, my friend Kelly and I just recently did this game, uh, for the button shy contest, um, the button shy contest was based on the um, the thought experiment that is the ship of Theseus. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, where like yes, yeah. bits are replaced one at a time, yeah, and exactly. at what point is it a different ship? Exactly. So we wanted to do a version of the game. So the the challenge was do a version of the game uh, that's not about the ship of Theseus, but still feels the same way. So we actually. Um, and it has to be nine cards nine cards three dice four tokens that's all you get um and so we we based ours on um the 1980s movies uh around like high school stuff right um like so the idea of that was kind of the inspiration we drew of like trying to fit in in high school and like that was like that was difficult for both of us so it was something we felt emotionally attached to right Mm -hmm. um and so, like, you're kind of swapping yourself out in this game. Um, you're swapping yourself out pieces of yourself um, to try and fit in um, and move up through the grades. And in the end, you're trying to put yourself back together, right? So it's like now you're yeah. ready to move on and be you again. So the stress was we couldn't fake the art because the art was so hyper-specific because in the game, I literally have to be able to cut out the left top you know the left top right corner the right top corner that's like part of the head and part of the shoulder you actually cut the cards you you trace the card onto a sheet of paper and then you cut the paper and pull it out and replace it with other pieces that you're tracing in um so so what happened was we needed nine pieces of art that lined up with each other that Mm -hmm. looked like these styles there was no way to fake that like and mm-hmm. have it do have people get it. We could for playtesting, we could just write words, but to submit it to this contest, we had to have art. Um, so luckily I was able to go to fiverr.com um and just find an amazing artist who was able to just at a decent rate do it for us in two days. <laughs> so he amazing. did nine pieces of art in two days. But the stress was finding that person, getting that, you know. I mean, we didn't get the art until almost time to submit the game. Uh, within days and then we had to do all the layout and stuff so none of that comes easy to me yeah and when you're giving the deadline it has to be okay this is a deadline that gives you enough time as the artist but also a deadline that once you've done it it gives me enough time to put it together and if you don't follow through if something happens to you ideally you even want to have a plan b yes artist a doesn't turn out but yeah i can definitely see that um, one thing I'd mention, um, there's 
something that I linked to, I want to say today on Twitter, where, mm-hmm. yeah, someone puts a thing together where you can mash together different vectors of people and so humanoid figures. But it's interesting when you've got games that the art actually matters. And sure, some games are just mathematical simulations, strategic games. The mm-hmm. art, you could replace it or not have any art at all. I mean, Magic the Gathering, except for some of the onsets, the yeah. art doesn't actually inform the gameplay at all. It's yeah, no, really it's, it's flavor, right? I mean, it's sure, to, it to matters a lot to the enjoyment, yeah. but it's never going to change the things. Whereas right. if it's, frankly, like each prototype that I drew of a game about quickly grabbing creatures that are totally different mm-hmm. and counting your whatever vegetables because it started off turnips. But um, like originally, I didn't know how it was going to look, if it was going to be too tricky, if it was going to be too easy, right. because it right. all depends on the final artwork. And frankly, right. there's no way for me to know whether the Radish version that I'm trying to push to be as tricky as I can possibly get it without being unfair... Will that work? Right, right. Will it not? Until right. it's actually there. And yes. there's games where when you flip them over, maybe you need to speed read because maybe there's a reading elements and then the typeface actually matters, the font matters. And so you have to kind of definitely think, yes, 100%, what matters to this game? What would just boost the experience? And what is actually integral to informing the way you engage with that experience? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And I guess I it's funny because we both see it like I was like, well, being the artist makes it not stressful because you can just experiment with all that. <laughs> but also you have to design the game and exp- so, yeah. So, see, sometimes no, we don't realize artist, how stressful of, it is. <laughs> like, like as the artist, OK, in a bind. Um, so the game that would become Yogi. Back in the day, I did my first ever Kickstarter, August 2014, I want to say. Yep. And then I had some art done and I was like, this is what it might look like. I don't know, but hopefully like the game, I'll make the art look better if this actually funds. And I was super lucky. It was a much longer campaign than I would ever do. It was almost the maximum. It was 58 days because I figured, why not make it longer? And yeah, I'm not going to get into that whole discussion. But um, <laughs> after it funded, people did give me inputs into the art. And people are like, oh, what if you had only the elbow on a card that's this card touching the elbow? And I was like, well, that wouldn't quite work. But actually, what you've just said has inspired me to think, what if it was a really, really big elbow and then a tiny human? So yes, you can sort of yes. tell that it's a big elbow and then a tiny human. And... Mm-hmm having that back and forth did allow me to do much better art in the end but Mm -hmm. january 2015 after it had been done for a while and and i'd gone through the process of doing a final kind of development of it and trying out the expansions i was super stressed about it i was thinking 
people have paid for this. Now I need to make something that will actually make them happy. What if someone doesn't like it? What if someone buys it and they're like, oh, Bez, this wasn't... Oh, look at this <laughs> card. This had this mistake in it. I'm never... I, I don't know. You have all these things in your mind. Like someone looks at one tiny part of your arts and then because one tiny part of it's not good, they never buy your games again. As if that's going to happen. Of course right, it's not. Right, right, right. If, if that does happen, that person was going to find something that they didn't like anyways, right? I mean, because that person is that person and they're always stressed, always. But you know what, I mean, and when you're, it's, I come to this, I have to constantly remind myself all the time that perfection is unattainable for multiple reasons. Yes. Firstly, out of a mathematical construct, you can't be literally perfect because there's always some, vagueness if you measure the length of a border between two countries well it's never an exactly straight line if you want it's a better analogy would probably be measuring a coastline on a cliff i mean to what precision do you do that because hey you could start using a big ruler or you could start wiggling around all the rocks and getting every millimeter correct you're mm -hmm. never going to be completely perfect and by the time you do it some of the pebbles might have fallen off that cliff anyway and yep. the second big reason is because it is all subjective. And then the third thing to be mindful of is it's not just about that one game. It's about a continuation of things. It's about, and then you, and these are all things that I have to remind myself constantly. It doesn't matter that there's 80% of the game that matters a lot, but there's, all these tiny details that, sure, it would be nice if they were perfect, but they don't really matter. And that's why, yeah, when it came to Kitty Cataclysm, when it came time to doing the L deck, I had 0% of the final arts work done before that. And mm -hmm. people were happy with the final thing because they were like, oh, this looked a lot better than I saw on the Kickstarter. But let's right, be right. honest, I probably would have sold a lot more copies if I had gotten some final right. artwork yeah. on there. And that is that is the truth, right? I mean, like, mm -mm. yeah, I that's that's very true. But it is, yeah, yeah, all of that is... is and then that is kind of stressful. leads me to the Bezzy bargain bags, which the whole notion behind this, the whole idea is to allow myself to make things. And it doesn't matter whether I sell a hundred or five hundred or whatever. I can print. I printed literally fifty copies of a game about wee whimsical creatures and try to identify them after someone makes noises. If I had, if I'd never sold any more than that, mm -hmm. it would have been like, hey, that worked out nicely. I sold a bunch. I made my money back, I made a tiny profit, and that was fine. And because they're all sold for £5, which is the cheapest that I can afford to do it, bearing in mind it is print-on-demand, so it's actually a lower markup than most other games get me. But right. with that, I feel like, hey, people aren't expecting something as perfect. And with some of them, it's like, yes, there's a tiny bit of this image that's been clipped, in the printing or one of them is slightly smaller and i don't want to stand here or sit here talking and make everyone think that my games are rubbish they're not but there's always going to be these tiny imperfections and it's like an excuse to myself when i'm coloring it in rather than building it up in my mind to be this big big thing it's like 
it doesn't matter. It's a £5 thing. And sure, there's hopefully going to be lots of people, but it's like an experiment. I am literally trying to make a new game for every convention I go to this year. So like mm -hmm. about seven new games completely. And it, but it's all contextual. With right, that right. price point, it makes me able to do it. It makes me not stress about it. And mm -hmm. then again, finally, when you go to Kickstarter, when you have final artwork done, the truth is it's a lot less stressful because then right. you don't have to finish the Kickstarter and think, okay, now I've got everyone's money. Will they be happy with this? It's <laughs> like, well, this is the thing. If you're not happy with it, don't back it. Right. And, you know, I I love that because 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 perfection, the, 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 um, the pursuit of perfection is, is the ultimate stress and it's stupid mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. it's, it's wasted. Right. Uh, because like you said, perfection isn't, isn't in general possible. Not only, yes. I would argue that in game design, sometimes perfection is boring. Uh, mathematical perfection in a game many times is not as fun as you think it is. Uh, I, I base all of my games on like perfect math when i start them and they almost always have to change before they're done because well again so we get to the point that perfect balance isn't right. perfect for the game it's like perfect right. for what yes. purpose but i i absolutely love though the the um the bargain bags because it, it does I, I think you're you're doing something that's that's so interesting to me which is giving yourself permission to make something that's that's good um, and that's, and that's fun. Um, but it doesn't have to be perfect. And I, I just, oh, I love that because I, I'm so enthralled with the idea of just putting more fun stuff out there, giving mm -hmm. people more fun experiences. So these, these micro games, I mean, they're not exactly micro games. They are like 54 deck of cards and two of them are used, but I get what you mean. Like it's a small experiment. And my next thing, um, like, a game about drawing creatures, complementing the drawings, then complementing the compliments. And that's something that I don't know how people will respond to it. That and so on one side of the card, you've got creature features. So here we've yep. got hats or long socks or furry bits somewhere. So, you know, you could... <laughs> or um, something cat-like. That cat -like. might be the best thing. <laughs> furry bits somewhere. <laughs> yeah, you, you you decide. Furry bits wherever you want. And oh. not just one furry bit, but at least two, because yeah, it's plural. Yeah. But plural. anyway, the, and on the other side of the card, it's got these uh, this bits of advice for how to compliment people. So it might say, does it spark your imagination? Share what the art makes you think of. Or when it comes to complimenting a compliment, which is actually really tricky, were they nicely concise? Brevity can sometimes be brilliant, or sometimes they just give you things about compliments in general, like talking about how compliments are always appreciated, but criticism mm -hmm. less so. And so the entire game, you get four of these creature features, draw them, you mm -hmm. do a grand reveal, literally everyone has to compliment your drawing, then it goes round, everyone gets their own moment of glory, doing a grand reveal, and then at the end... Everyone who, in the order that they did the reveals, they have to compliment at least one, maybe two of the people who complimented them. And that's the thing. Like, it forces you to appreciate the compliments. I mm -hmm. didn't understand this before I started playtesting, 
But it's really hard to think what makes a good compliment. And that's because we don't think about it that much. We appreciate art as a work of art, as a drawing. We might say, yeah, this is realistic. This made me laugh, whatever. But when someone compliments you and makes you smile, is that art itself worth complimenting? Say, thank you. You really made me smile with that compliment. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, no, that is that I, I'm I'm enamored with that game idea. That's thank brilliant. you very much. Um, but anyway, the point is that it's experimental, and I'm going to try and maybe if I can go between things that you could imagine maybe already existing and things that are like, whoa, is this even a game? Like some people who say it's not a game, well, pff, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, I can. I'm not going to bother going down that rabbit hole if you think that's only certain. I agree. I I I have to say that I used to be one of those people that was like, "That's not a game; it's an activity," and that like came from hearing that repeated consistently in the industry. And I've come to realize that that's that's crap. <laughs> like, it's an experience, right? Games are about there is an experience. Actually, and a, a winning and losing in the game, believe it or not. So, if you deflect or reject a compliment, you lose. You are still allowed to keep playing, but you've already lost. But right, if you get right. to the end and you've won, congratulations. And if everyone wins, then you all super win. So, it's basically like a cooperative thing. And the other interesting thing is that there's this innate sense of competition that you want your compliment to be the one complimented. And we're going back to it. The point is, again, this is this um, weird idea. A hundred copies, I can afford to print that. I can afford to print... A hundred just seems like a good number because I figure, you know, I'll... If it's... If this is the only print run I ever do, I want Mm -hmm. to keep 20 copies. Some copies potentially for pitching, some copies to keep playing for myself, some copies Mm -hmm. to give to friends. And 80 copies, I can probably sell that over a year. If it takes an entire year to sell 80 copies, well, I'm probably not going to reprint it. But if it sells out within one convention, then yeah, it's clear indicator. And that's what print-on-demand allows me to do, to test yep. the markets. And I'm super fr- privileged because I'm at the point where, yes, I'm able to go to these conventions. I've built up some social capital. People recognize me. They come to try out my games before they come to try out the games of someone that they don't know. And so mm-hmm. that's a privilege that I'm... I have worked for that privilege, obviously, but mm-hmm. it's something that I don't take lightly. And so, yes, it allows me to do experimental things that maybe there's not a market of however many thousand people for this. Maybe the market is exactly 300 people in the world or in the UK who would really like this thing. Or maybe it's just 50 people. I don't know, but it doesn't matter because I would like it to exist. And so it's going to exist. And that makes me happy. And it's like, again... There was a mistake on the printing, which really annoyed me, but it's basically it means that there's 51 usable cards. But when I did the maths on how many combinations you could get, there's still 63 zeros in the number. So who cares? Right. No one's right. going to play it right, like right, right. that many times. It is. I, so is is that one? Did you kickstart that game or no? 
No, so like my new model, it's literally just I print a hundred copies, I see how long it takes to sell, and then if it sells well, then I'll work on the tweak, make it slightly better, revamp it a bit, and kickstart it. Is that one for sale yet? It is going to be for sale at Aircon. So I literally just okay. got it this physical copy, I want to say yesterday. Well, let Literally me know how I can buy one to be shipped to the U.S. because I want that game. Awesome. <laughs> Absolutely want that game. So, well, that um, will probably be my next next Kickstarter. Okay, great. Because yeah, that is just like um, if it if depending on reception at Aircon, obviously. Right, right. I, that's just that really follows the format of the kind of stuff that I'm trying to work on and the experiences. Um, and I just think that it's like I can think of so many applications for that <laughs> game. I'm I'm so enamored by the idea. I would love um, for classrooms to take it, and I think that's, what I, I that's already what I figured I'm out. Is, that, yeah. yeah, you have enough for a good number of kids. Um, like if it's four divided by yeah, it's enough for like ten kids. So if you buy two mm -hmm. decks, you could like split them up. I've, yep, with yep. all my busy bargain bags, I'm doing it like print and play for just one pound. So you pay one pound. And then if you are not in the UK, because currently that gets to like the final bit of the delivery of getting it into shops, but mm -hmm. I sending it to USA is a pain. Sending yeah, yeah, anything absolutely. right now is expensive. Yes. Oh, and so it bad. feels yeah. wrong to me. If you give me 25 quid and I keep two quid of that, I'm not like yeah, yeah, and the 20 quid to royal mail three quid yeah. is going to the printing i mean yeah. if you give me five quid and i keep two quid of that that feels okay you're trying to support me i appreciate that yeah, yeah. But at that point you might as well That's just do the print and play and right, right. have do it have yourself you, have you ever considered putting those things on like like so when you say you're selling a print and play are you selling them like like I buy it, I print it, or do you have it with any print-on-demand sites in the U.S. where they I could buy it? I don't currently have it on any print-on-demand sites in the U.S. But again, looking at Game Crafter, the price for a deck of cards, where it was like just the price for the deck, I think it was like seven or eight dollars, which seems mm -hmm. like quite a bit to me. It is, yeah, yeah. And then, like. Even if I was doing a hundred of them, it was still basically the same price. Um, yeah, it didn't yeah. go down that much, even though they... And so it felt like, well, if someone wants to do it... Like, what I don't want someone to feel like is, hey, I'm paying... And that also takes me away from, hey, someone's just paying five quid for it. I don't have to worry about it. Because if someone's suddenly paying... Um, let's say $10 plus shipping, that's a sizable chunk. And yeah, now no, I, I might I go back totally to being stressed that. about the art. And mm -hmm. what's more likely is that I will partner with someone in, which I've done for a game about wee whimsical creatures and trying to identify them after someone makes noises. Someone in mm -hmm. Poland did a smaller print run in the EU so that they could sell it at Essen. And now if someone buys it from my site, just for that one game, I do have cheap fulfillment options relatively because it is mm -hmm. sent from Poland, which has cheaper postage than the UK. Oh, interesting. And so um, it would literally be cheaper for me to send something to Poland, 
have them ship it to USA than send it directly to you. It's ridiculous. That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, no, I, yeah. I, um, I, I'm like, just, yeah, I, I get like, I get that feeling of like saying like, I've had that too with like, I'm making this small game experience. Gosh, I have to be so responsible with what I'm charging for mm-mm. it. Right. Because so, yeah, I, um, I have had that debate with uh, co-designers on things where it's really, a, it's a tough choice of like, what does this have to be to hit that, hit the right price point? And, I, and I'll tell you, that's stressful. <laughs> so yes, yes. And it's, I, I would like it if it does well enough to say, yeah, let's put it in a little box and sell it. But if it's doing that well, I would rather um, at that point pro- possibly print a thousand of them and yeah, do a little talk box. But mm-hmm. then, we, like, have you had stress with manufacturing yourself? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the first game I did, uh, Water Balloon Washout, back in 2014. I funded that on Kickstarter. I printed it and I actually printed it in the U S um, at a, at a shop 30 minutes from my house. So it saved a lot on shipping production mm. was really expensive, like too expensive um, to really make any sort of good profit on the game. So that was a mm. bit of a bummer just cause I mean, that was part of the idea was like to make actually not like get rich off it, but you know, make some actual return on it. And that, that has happened over time. Uh, but it, you know, because I chose to print in the U S which honestly I chose that out of convenience more than anything. Right. It wasn't. That's fair. Like, I mean, I think that manufacturing in your country or manufacturing somewhere where you don't have customs charges, it's less stressful. And I think that's a really reasonable choice. People feel like, Oh, I have to do everything the cheapest possible way. I have to do everything the best environmental sound way and those are noble aspirations like making it cheap making it protecting our planet but also when it comes to the costs i think that you can say you know what i am going to do it a bit more expensively i'm going to do it maybe inferior quality of cards whatever because Mm -hmm. i don't want all this stress with my next kickstarter i don't want the stress of working out exactly how much is it going to be to all these different countries right. and i am going to keep the physical copies uk only for that because yep. there's five different versions like i'm having these graphical versions the idea being yeah for the radishes you can have the black and white versions i'm going to scan in all the art before i start coloring it in and then the the previous ones were done by marker pen this one i'm going to mm-hmm. experiment with some watercolor paint see how it goes it might not be perfect but hey we've already established it doesn't need to be and it's just right, right. changing it up a wee bit and i would if it does really well if people in the us start saying hey we really want it and if there's a substantial number then sure at some point in the future maybe I'll be able to find someone else to work with. But mm-hmm. this gets into the, as one person, doing the logistics, doing the delivery, doing the manufacturing, and anything that you've got left over, how do you sell it? Do you have relationships with shops to give mm-hmm. them the copies? If it's something just in a bag, customers probably aren't going to buy that, let's be honest. If it's something in a talk box okay that makes a big difference 
And if you've got specific ideas about what you want your box to look like, like, I mean, I guess we've not talked while we're recording about my categorical, where I basically said to everyone, look, I can't do it. I'm offering everyone a refund. We've not talked about that, have we? No, no. We, You and I mentioned it before the show, but I would love for you to chat a bit about that because I, I know that that had to have been stress going into that and stress coming out of that. It's, so. it's a heartbreaking thing to admit. I feel slightly relieved now I'm kind of accepting it. I'm still working out the plan for the future. But basically, to give the backstory, March 2020, I think it's literally 1st of March until 1st of April, Something mm-hmm. like that. There might have been a few days. Don't doesn't matter. Um I ran a Kickstarter for Categorical, which is a new graphical version of the L deck. Like the original L deck, I didn't have any of the art done, but I did have some sorts of concept art where I said, Hey, here's some letter shapes, here's like twelve different variations. This is in the ballpark of what I'm thinking, you can get a good solid idea. Like the fronts of the faces are going to be bright reddish colors the shadows are mm-hmm. going to be these and like as opposed to the old ones where it had a border this will have like a middle pattern to show the suit it's and it's just got a strong dominant energy and this is going to be the first deck that's dedicated to just one game it's going to have the rules for that game and it's going to have another sheet of paper that gives you a few other games that you can play with it but still with categorical you know the primary game for those who don't know the L deck you can play literally like hundreds of games with it but the issue is that that's not a selling point people don't want hundreds of games people want want one one or two games that they can easily learn but then it was going to be all these like there'd be another sheet of paper that's got all these achievements on that keeps you playing that's obviously Mm -hmm. inspired by Scythe and whatnot and then within the deck the deck's only 48 cards. What am I going to do with the other seven cards? Because that's it happened. My printing sheet was 55. Well, mm-hmm. what if I use that to do a Friedman Freeze inspired, like when they had a fast forward series, pick up the deck. It says, do not shuffle. Just flip this over and do what it says. And we will teach you how to play the game. So the first one will say, this is how you set yeah. up. The next one, like six cards down, because the first five actual cards are for the setup, says, hey, this is what you're going to do. Ready, go. And then it kind of gets you through the game. And then right at the end, two cards from the bottom, it says, well, you're basically at the end. This is how you finish. And so it tells you how to score a point at the earliest point that it could possibly happen in the deck. And so it, it was all going to be in a really nice box, like this box, which is just marginally bigger it's a than nice a nice box, yeah. Thank you. Like it's nice and literally shiny and gold. And it's got thumb holds, which I think are super undervalued. Um Yes. Yes, they are. After having games without thumb holes and being like mm, 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 just... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's super important to me. And then <laughs> so anyway, the point is. If it hadn't been for COVID, if it hadn't been for Brexit, I am convinced that I would have been able to use everyone's feedback to make something super awesome. I would have been able to do it all and been happy with it. But instead, we had COVID hit us like between those two dates, everything shut down. And Mm -hmm. then I had set the 
expected date as January 2021. So I had given myself plenty of time. I thought, oh, mm-hmm. maybe the pandemic will only last like two months or three months. I don't know. I remember thinking that too. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Like in the middle of the year, I was like, oh, wait a minute, this is not looking good. And in October, I said, look, I'm probably not going to be able to do it. I can't say when. And then, yeah, August 2021, it was like, yeah, the earliest possible date I can get is January. But I'm still not getting any actual pricing clearly of these companies because everything's up in the air. And then a few updates to say, yeah, here's me noodling around with arts and getting some feedback that finally like I was you know the pandemic took a lot out of us like um, so much emotionally and so finally I was like 2021 last year I felt like I was able to come back to making games and working on stuff but then the manufacturing companies weren't really talking to me so clearly because I'm doing a really small production I'm considering 500 probably going to do 1000 and if they choose, hey, are we going to talk to this person who does like maybe a thousand games every year? Or are we going to talk to this other person who does like 10,000 games? Of course, they're going to. Yeah, because I mean, the they're in the customer. same position, right? Of trying to keep their business up and running. And and that's, exactly. that's who keeps the lights on, right? And not to mention the cost of shipping has gone up so much. I mean, literally when I, I sent something out um, in the early pandemic, and mm-hmm. I just sent it because I swallowed the cost. But when someone bought a copy of Kitty Cataclysm that I was expecting to cost me about £7 to ship, instead it cost me £25 to ship to the USA. Oh, this wow. was like when it was as bad as it got. And then I went mm-hmm. to my um, big cartel page and just cancelled all the international shipments because it was like, yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know what's... Well, at first I cancelled all the outside eu shipments and then after brexit now suddenly something that would cost me five pounds to send is costing me 10 pounds to send and you know just across the river relatively speaking to france and right i mean right. the channel like i could it, i can take a ferry over there and deliver it myself yeah. <laughs> and it's so frustrating but that is the world we live in and things change and then there is the stress of how can this happen the stress of how do i deal with these people the stress of talking to people and waiting for them to get back to you the stress Mm -hmm. of am i going to be able to sell the remainder of these copies because that is a big thing when you manufacture yourself the stress of sales to shops and Honestly, I do believe that if you're just selling a few hundred, you can easily offload that if it's a good enough game like Yogi. When I self-published it, even though I had zero connections, when I talked to shops, like I explained the game within like 10 seconds and they were like, oh yeah, that sounds fun. You know what? Yep. Give me a couple of copies. And yep. um, one of the shops I, in London, I said, hey, I'm going to come over and I'll bring a few to sell and we can put them through your till. Would you agree with that? And I'll sit there, I'll do demos all day. And if we sell five copies, they can all go through your till and maybe you can buy some at the end of the day. And they said, yeah, absolutely. But just to warn you, we've basically never bought, we never buy more than 10 copies of a game. So it might not be worth you bringing right. lots and lots. Right. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be quite optimistic. I'm going to take 40. 
And so they ended up, like I sold about five during the course of the game. It was really quiet. Mm-hmm. And then they ended up buying like 30 from me at the end. Because <laughs> they were like, clearly this is going to sell. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. And I was really chuffed. And I think that without being too egotistical, I do have a talent for making games that do engage people, are easy to learn. But mm-hmm. at the same time, on a shelf, it has to look good. And that's yes. completely yeah. unrelated to what the game itself offers. Sure, if someone comes in and says, hey, do you know a game that I can play with my four-year-old and we like quickly something quick and maybe something that does a little bit of maths? In that case, I think it would be perfect for the shop to say, hey, how about a game about quickly grabbing creatures that are totally different and counting your turnips? Because you only need to count to five, but you need to keep that in your head and it makes it really visceral. And so... But without that, someone coming in for a recommendation, which is not what most people do, if most people go into a shop to be able to browse, to pull things off the shelf, to be, oh, how does this feel in my hand? Oh, this cover looks exciting. Oh, this is shiny. And yeah, I think that um, that's a completely different challenge to doing the game design. And so... Yeah, again, that's the stress of if it affects you financially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of stress. <laughs> that stuff. <laughs> and that's why, frankly, yeah, again, I'm doing the print on demand. And just mm-hmm. to clarify, that's why, yes, for my next Kickstarter, for the previous one, I said, let me know during the Kickstarter. I will work out the price and then I'll send it to you after. But for this mm-hmm. one, I'm saying just back it for one pound. Don't ask for it during the Kickstarter. Once the Kickstarter is done, once it's printed, then I'll work out the price. And mm-hmm. if you're happy with that price, then you can pay me. And if you're mm-hmm. not happy with the price, then you get the print and play for a pound. You know, yep. bargain. That's, 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 I love that. That's super smart. This has been a super, super good discussion about stress. And I know we've touched on a lot of games you've worked on. I And you've mentioned too, the Kickstarter coming up. Like let's let's hone in on that. I want to hear a bit about that because that's launching this week uh, as of publication. Um, yeah. What's the specific You're date? releasing this podcast on the 14th. And yes. so when people listen to this, it will be launching tomorrow. So basically Perfect. if you're lo- listening to this on the Monday come in and back it like i'm launching it at around 10 a.m uk time so that's 5 a.m usa time well eastern standard time i know that there's a lot of different usa times but it's only running for nine days because i want to be a focused thing make it something that i can be invested in and pay all my attention to but nine days it's short enough again minimizing stress that's what it's about Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it is a game about quickly grabbing creatures that are totally different whilst counting your turnips or beetroots or radishes, depending on the version you buy. So Mm -hmm. turnips were the original version. And if you buy that version, it's going to be, I think, quite nicely colored in turnips. And the Mm -hmm. creatures are all kinds of red and yellow and pink. And then you've got the beetroot version, that you could buy the black and white version to color in yourself, or you could mm-hmm. make the get the one that's got red shading, and so it just ends up red, black, and white. 
And so that's a strong visual thing. And what I did for that was give the creatures a little bit more personality. And mm-hmm. then the radish version, which is the third version. Oh my gosh, I've realized that I've gone too far. I've not explained what the game's all about yet. But the radish version is going to be as confusing as it can possibly be. So let's take a step back. It's a game about quickly grabbing creatures. So you've got every all the cards face down on the table. Flip one up. If you want it, put it in your other hand. If you don't want it, leave it face up on the table. Every creature needs to be totally different to the one before. So mm-hmm. if the one before had one eye, this cannot have one eye. If it had right. two two tentacles, it cannot have two tentacles. If it had four legs, it cannot have four legs. And that's the only thing that matters. The number of eyes, which is zero, one, two, three, and the number of arm bits, which is two tentacles, four arms, or six wings, and the number of legs, which might be one tail, two legs in stockings with shoes, or four kinds of chicken feet. And I'm still going to keep those body aspects. So it's not sure it's four legs, but it's you know you're looking for chicken legs. But in mm-hmm. the radish version, some of sometimes they'll have like crossed legs. Sometimes they'll be dancing. Sometimes oh. they'll be like crossed arms in super aggressive poses. Sometimes right. they'll have like a mobile phone. I'm going to introduce props and stuff. So it'll have like a mobile phone that looks a bit like an eye stalk with like right. a giant thing. Sometimes they'll be eating food. And just to confuse you, and maybe one of them is doing a handstand. Well, so you're like, it's a fo- oh no, it's a hand. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, what a great so, idea. Yeah, and I'm going to, as opposed to the original versions where it was all face on at the camera, figuratively speaking. So yes, that's the game. Every creature you grab needs to be totally different to the one before. But here's a twist. You've got some root vegetables. A root vegetable is completely different to a creature. So you grab your veg, creature, veg, creature. Super easy, except you can only grab five veg. So if you so if you do that in the middle, it might mean that you can't do it at the end. If you do it at the start, you need to remember all the way through how many you've grabbed. And that sounds mm-hmm. easier than it actually is. And my current strategy, I'm not sure if I should reveal this because this feels like potentially i'm just going to say i've got a strategy for how i play i'm not going to tell people because i want people to have the joy of discovering the strategy themselves yes Yes. but there is definitely a strong strategy of timing when you start picking up those vegetables when you wait Mm -hmm. and you do it all in well one burst you do it in different bits like do them whenever you get stuck and i definitely have opinions but i'm going to stop there and if you mix two one deck is enough for two or three players which mm-hmm. I quite like because it's quite unusual. You get a speed game that really works for two or three players. Mm-hmm. And um, if you need four, five, or six players, use two decks together. If you want to play with seven, eight, or nine, mix three decks together. Nice. And nice. if you combine different decks, they will be easier to separate, which is the reason that I did it. But also, it will add extra confusion because, it, oh, this is a different color. Oh, color does not matter. Oh, this is a turnip. This is a radish. Oh, but they both count the same. They're both vegetables. It, it's, it's still only five vegetables you can pick up. And yeah, that Kickstarter. Um, if you go to stuffbybez.com slash Kickstarter, I'm going to have a redirect set up so that, pe- that will redirect to the Kickstarter page. One pound if you're anywhere in the world, you will get all the print and play files forever for that game. The best awesome. print and play files that I can do. 
if you mm -hmm. are based within the UK, it will be £5 per deck plus £3 shipping, no matter how many it is. Because within the UK, that's the beautiful thing about being in the UK. I know two kilograms I can send anywhere via Royal Mail, and it's only going to be about £3. Yeah, yeah. And our mail system is not that uh, our mail system gets expensive. I, I'm sure yours does with bigger stuff too. Though. Oh, if it's two kilos and one gram, then it basically triples in price. <laughs> yeah. We do have that issue as well where it's like just leaps up in price. Um, yeah. We also have a larger expanse to send things across. So, you know, mm -mm -mm. they do charge. More. I mean, your country <laughs> is basically like one third of a continent. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, and we act like it's bigger than that. So, <laughs> yeah, you act like awful. it's the whole continent. We act like it's the whole damn world, unfortunately. <laughs> but oh my oh. gosh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not always that enamored with. I mean, with thankfully, country. you know, the we is not personal, but um, yeah, it's been lovely to chat. Is there what anything next? Yeah, no, now we'll just uh we'll just talk about the end here. So um well hey, thank the you again end. for coming on, Bez. This was the end is here. <laughs> this was uh this was super fun but to meet do you. Do not and... stress <laughs> and do not fear. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> yes, and I, I mean I literally, like you said, I, I could talk to you all day. Uh this is fantastic. Likewise. And I've really enjoyed this. And you are absolutely welcome back anytime you want to come Aww. back. Um, cause this is, this is, this was super fun. Um, but listeners, I uh, hope you also enjoyed the show. Uh, you can find us at buildingthegamepodcast.com. Uh, you can email us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. You can, um, find us on the Twitter at podcast BTG at J a Slingerland. Bez is at stuff by Bez. Also, as Bez said, you can find her on kick, uh, stuff by Bez.com slash Kickstarter. Was that right? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, so go there. Uh, I also followed Bez on Kickstarter because I just went and looked you up. I was like, hey. I'll just click follow and then I'll see when you launch stuff. That's great. Um, but yes, listeners, uh, I hope you enjoy this. I hope we'll come back next week. But until next time, good night. Bye-bye. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends.